The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to Farty Towers, the Faulty Towers podcast. My name is Sai, and joining me today is somebody who's never been on a podcast before. And I am crazy excited to be talking 50-year-old television with my eldest daughter, Anya. How are you doing? Hello. I'm excited, but also nervous. So we'll have to see how it goes. Ah, there's nothing to be nervous about. Nothing to be nervous about at all. Don't you worry. Uh, I suppose the first thing we want to do really is start off with uh, just a bit of background about yourself and the show. The nature of the podcast is very much looking at Faulty Towers with people who have maybe never seen it before for a slightly different viewpoint. And also then maybe with people who are very fanatical about the show and absolutely adore it. We've got a few of those coming on later in the show's, uh, I suppose, timeline, series, whatever you may want to call it. You're very much in the bracket of never seen it before, aren't you? Yeah, I've seen older programmes like Only Fools and Horses and Quantum Leap, but Faulty Towers is one that I'm not very familiar with. I've heard it, but I've never seen it before. So it's definitely interesting to watch the episode of reviewing it for this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it is 50-year-old television. It's, it's older than me. But um, just for the sake of everyone listening out there, how, just let everyone know how old you are and so on. I am 18, 19 in March. Yeah, so 19 in a few weeks' time as of time of recording. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's interesting that you, you've seen the likes of um, Only Fools and Horses and so on, because it kind of, Volta Towers kind of gets put in the same same bracket i guess with regards to what its reference does with its type of television it's very much comes under the umbrella of classic british sitcom sort of faulty towers uh, like you said only fools and horses hello hello and all these kind of uh, quite dated shows now but shows that were people were very passionate about you know you know only fools and horses is a great example so many people in this country just love that show and faulty towers as i mentioned on the podcast on the podcast previously regularly gets into the top few numbers the top high numbers when people do you know these big countdowns of greatest sitcoms of all time and all this sort of stuff but i mean i agree with that i love it but to me it's also a little surprising because they only ever made 12 episodes mm. and with regards to the one we're looking at today is that the first episode you have seen we're looking at episode three apologies the wedding party is that the first episode you have seen did you go back and watch episodes one and two before this or is this literally you jumping in cold i watched episode one and two just to get a bit of context before obviously we recorded this um podcast um so i, I had a little bit of an idea of what it is but each episode is completely different like it doesn't really link if that makes sense. No, you're spot on. There's no kind of long-term story arc other than Basil slowly goes more and more crazy as the episode builds. His blood pressure goes through the reef by the end of the episode. But it's just a different scenario that starts him off each time, I guess. Uh, that's interesting you've done that because obviously in, in this episode, I, I said to you pre-recording, I wish I'd picked a different episode for you to come on and record with me because in this episode, things are slightly different in regards to 
Manuel is, is is he's got the night off here. He's not an active role in the hotel or anything like that, which is different to every other episode. And Manuel's interactions with Basil is like what makes the show ridiculously funny for me. His character is very unique, shall we say. So. <laughs> uh, okay, so the wedding party. Uh, this first broadcast on the 3rd of October, 1975. It is episode three, as we mentioned, of season one. The show is... It, the, the show's, you know, it is what it is. Every episode of Folk Towers is, is what it is. But I find the further you go into the series, the more established characters become the more their reactions to situations become and the more you know comfy everything becomes in general uh, a basic plot gist for this episode for everyone listening at home there's a wedding party staying at the hotel there is also a very flirtatious french lady staying at the hotel and basil as always is getting completely confused completely gets the wrong end of the stick in numerous situations and believes that everyone is carrying on in some kind of crazy sex obsessed world in his hotel and he doesn't want the hotel to get a bad reputation because again we come back to earlier episodes where basil's desperately trying to i suppose get a higher class of clientele in so he's concerned about what's going on under his roof manuel is off for the night it's his birthday so they've actually given him a night off which is very generous of them i suppose and all sorts of chaos ensues where basil just misunderstands 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 places himself in silly situations and you know as always the craziness escalates his blood pressure goes up and we end up with you know just just chaos at the end of the episode Anya. so Overall, then, first of all, the Basil Fawlty character, you say you've seen three episodes of this, uh, but in general, and also with a sort of one eye mainly on this episode, I guess, what are your thoughts on Basil himself? I mean, the first episode, I was very confused, but when you watch each episode go by, you see his character unravel each episode, so you get a bit of a better understanding. Um but the actor who plays him plays his character very well. I think he's the actor got it bang on. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just a very hard character to understand, but also easy to understand at the same time. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's, it's how can one person get so much wrong, or how can one person misunderstand so much? But at the same time, the things he does understand, you could see why in a split second where he makes an assumption, you could see why he would jump to certain conclusions, I guess. A hundred percent. Like some of the things he does, you'd understand then other things you're like, how, how have you gone? How have you gone from understanding that to not understanding this? It's like mm-hmm. one extreme to the other, but it's a very good character to watch unravel and develop over. Like, like I said, I've only watched three episodes at the moment, but yes, episode you see him develop more and then you kind of get, the character a bit more each episode yeah yeah i suppose it's the same as any tv show really isn't it the more you watch the more you get accustomed to what you're seeing i suppose but i think that that really rings true for for what we see here you're spot on um this episode here i think we see more of sybil basil's wife sort of coming to the fore the character of sybil and how she is we've seen obviously she's been prominent in the previous two episodes as well she's the one who's very much in charge basil seems almost scared of her at times she's quite bossy but also quite lazy i think but 
in this episode, we see a lot going on with Sybil with regards to traits of her character, traits of her personality that will run for the next 10 or so episodes that we have left. The first one being the the iconic laugh that Sybil has. It, and, and Basil describes it quite early on as a laugh like a machine gun, doesn't he? How, how do you find the character of Sybil so far? Um, Very strong character, I think. Mm. But especially the like stereotypes that were in the 70s and 80s towards women, she does tend to break them quite a few times and go outside the stereotypic box. So she's a very strong character, and the fact that she's bossing the man around and not the other way around, I quite like that. But yeah. Very, very good to see for someone in my generation, shall you say. Well, this is... This is something that's going to be, I think, quite interesting. Uh, sort of a little bit of clarity for, for those listening. Uh, Anya's recording this episode with us today, and we'll also be featuring on another episode in our in our first season. But we're also looking at me picking an episode for Anya to review in season two as well. Because the same with uh, our good buddy, Scottish Danny, who was on the first two episodes of the podcast. It, again, it's 50-year-old television. But, I mean, I, I'm not that old, but I've grown up watching this. I've grown up in a different time, a, di- a different era to say Anya and even Danny, who's, who's 10, 15 years younger than me. So it's interesting hearing the viewpoints of people looking at this because the differences in TV in 1975 to 2023 are huge. I mean, there's, there's disclaimers on certain streaming services when you press play on these episodes because they, they say, you know, there are comments or terms used that can be taken offensive now whereas back in that in those days it was just rightly or wrongly it was just common for people to talk a certain way or behave a certain way Anya wasn't it yeah like I said for the generation that I've grown up in to see her or Sybil breaking those stereotypes especially back in the 70s it's it's a positive feeling if that makes sense like to know that even back then they were showing that women are better, not better, but can be strong. It's very, mm. it's a very good feeling, but it's also weird to, growing up knowing that back in the seventies and all like the older generations that women were normally the housewives and they didn't really work. It's also weird because you know you grew up knowing that, and then to see this in a program, the complete opposite is like this is confusing for my brain. Okay, I mean something that we commented on in the first couple of episodes of the farty towels podcast is that whereas she is quite a strong character and she is quite i suppose that is the only way to put it headstrong uh, and and you know she's very much in charge with basil kind of you know making terrible mistakes and being a bit of an arse pretty much every episode we see mm. she's also maybe i mean the, the term that scottish danny used in the first couple of episodes with myself w- was a bit of a battle axe she sometimes whereas whereas she might go against certain stereotypes that you mentioned for me she sort of ticks the boxes of certain comedy character stereotypes yeah, I, I the sort of definitely got that equal balance between fitting in a stereotype but also breaking out of it so okay. it a lot of different audiences in my opinion Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, the, sh- the the episode begins basically in the bar of the hotel. Their little bar there they have around the back of the reception area, and Sybil is, I would say, quite openly flirtatious with a with a fella while sat at the bar, whilst Basil is 
going around serving the major who is a long-term guest at the hotel and uh, speaking with other guests as they come in to get a drink and so on as well. And that's when we get the comment of Sybil's laugh is like a machine gun. And uh, she's again, she's sat at the bar. Basil says there's no nuts in, in their, uh, their little cup, the, the, the sort of, I, I don't know how to word it, little beaker ashtray esque thing they have on the, the bar there, which used to be quite a common thing going back and you used to get little glass jars or glass displays of, of different nuts and snacks that's left on the bar, believe it or not. I mean, nowadays that's, that's completely unheard of, especially with COVID, but even before COVID, you know? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there was a test done for, I think it was for a newspaper that I can remember going way, way, way back. And it turned out there was like, you know, they, they tested one particular pub and there was traces of several different people's urine on these nuts where oh. people were going to the toilet, not washing their hands, then coming back and having a snack. That's interesting. Yes, a different time, a different time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Basil says there's no nuts and, and Sybil sort of goes, oh yes, there's not. And we get, again, another example of times where Sybil, I think, can be quite lazy and bossy because she basically says, well, I'm not, I'm not bloody doing it. And, and Basil, off he goes, and because he's so downtrodden and worn out, off he goes to uh, sort out the nets and so on. I mean, this early interaction between the two, but Basil gets quite in a fluster when a reoccurring character in this episode, Miss Penoir, um, she's kind of flirtatious with him, the French, the French guest they have there for a night or two. And he's worried about Sybil's reaction while Sybil is openly being flirtatious with the fella at the bar to the point where they even mock Basil. I mean, how did you sort of view that interaction? Um, I think portraying a French character as flirtatious is probably quite right. Because when you think of the French, they are quite romantic and quite flirty. So I think they got that right. Um, I mean... I, I don't really know what to think of the interaction because you would have thought it would have been the other way around with Basil being more flirtatious with the lady and then Sybil being like a bit careful of who she's flirting with. So it did throw me off a little bit, but I it, okay. it backs up the character's personalities more. Mm. No, I understand. I understand. Interestingly enough, the actress who played Miss um, Penoir, the, the, the French character, the French lady... She was a vocal coach as well as being an actress. And she's actually Scottish. So the accent she's putting on here is, you know, is part of her vocal coaching and her, you know, her acting experience, I guess, to try and sound French. But she's in an interview much later on. I don't know if it's for the DVD extras or whatever, but she's in an interview much later on about the show and actually criticizes her own performance in saying that in trying to sound French, coming from scotland and trying to sound french she thinks she sounded more hungarian but i mean i didn't pick up on that i thought she did quite a good job i think she did quite a good job as well to be fair. yeah yeah definitely uh we see polly for the first time in this episode polly is the uh the maid the waitress uh whatever her job description may well be i mean i think she does a little bit of everything as does manuel and um, polly has come in from i assume a bit of time off her afternoon off or whatever she's getting ready for her evening shift there and she's come in with a young man and polly's wearing a shall we say quite revealing top in this scenario and basil is uh not overly keen on this happening and, and she also sort of starts slogging her boyfriend over the counter of the reception area for which basil then you know clocks onto this and tells her to pack it in uh, and this is like this is very setting the scene for the rest of the episode i feel because 
Basil is the one who is very closed off, very nervous, quite prudish, I guess, when it comes to the opposite sex and uh, and their, their goings on, I guess, and the, the couples in the hotel. These opening scenes with regards to the flirting in the bar and then Polly kissing her, her chap over the reception really sort of build up what we're going to see later on, I think. With regards to Polly coming in with her boyfriend, slogging him over the counter and so on, do you think Basil was in the right here? Or do you think Polly, you know, has, has got a right to behave that way? I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, if she wasn't on shift, I would say it's all right. But if she was on shift, it'd be a difference. Obviously, workplace behaviour. Mm-hmm. Basil's sarcasm when Polly introduced her boyfriend to Basil when he's like, "Oh, so you know him then?" type thing. I thought that that was. <laughs> and then also with the with the when she gave him a book and he went, "Oh, I didn't you open in the library?" Like just the sarcasm, and I think fit that scene quite well. Yeah. Manuel! Yes? A signal for tonight, is it? Mr. Fawlty, may I introduce Richard Turner? I'm sorry? He's a friend of mine. Oh, you know each other, do you? Just uh, just passing through, are you? There you go. See you tonight. Oh, we've opened a library, have we? Oh, nice. Please don't leave on my account, Mr. Turner. (laughs) I'm sorry. Now, look here, Polly. We were just saying... I mean, what sort of a place do you think this is? A massage parlour? I mean, we are running a nice, respectable hike... I'm sorry, did I say something funny? No, I was uh, just looking for... No, no, obviously I was saying something frightfully comic. No, it's just the heat. Oh, well, so long as I amuse the staff, I mean, that's all I'm here for. Ah, I'll just take these in, One other thing, Polly, I'm afraid we've abandoned the idea of the topless afternoon teas, so if you wouldn't mind a changing before you go in where people may be trying to eat. I was going to. And Polly, would you come back here, please? I'm on form tonight. Yes, Mr. Taylor. I know these kind of drawings are considered decent at art school. Would you please not leave them lying around on display at the reception? I'll put them away when I've got some clothes on. I mean, rip. Hello, faulty titties. Manuel! Yeah, but you can tell with pretty much everything that comes out of Basil's mouth, you're coming back to the thought process of he's just fed up of everything, I think. Everything yeah. seems an annoyance to him. And this, again, goes back to the the original idea for faulty towers with regards to the monty python crew who john cleese was a part of staying in a hotel in torquay and the guy who basil faulty was based upon was the hotel manager and it seemed that everything everything the guests did was a nuisance to the hotel manager he he you know and that's kind of where john cleese the, the actor who played basil got the idea from so you can kind of see it here i think because everything is an annoyance to him and you're right about the sarky comments i, I think that really shows how He's just irritated at everything, isn't he? Yeah, I, I quite like the sarcasm though because it's it's funny, but it's not. It doesn't come across as too rude. I don't right. know TV show, but sometimes you get sarcasm. You're like, why would you even say that? But he's he says it, so it's also like a funny way, mm. which I think is quite smart. Like the comments he did make were quite smart. Yeah, yeah, no, I get you. I get you. Okay. Uh, Polly goes off to go and get changed and, and get ready for her shift and so on. And she's left behind her book of drawings, which are, you know, arty nude drawings. Basil has a flick through, despite the fact he's saying strongly disapproves. He lingers on some of those pictures for quite a while, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the phone rings and it's Audrey, um, Sybil's. I suppose very demanding friend or we we never see Audrey in Faulty Towers to my knowledge I don't think we ever see the character but she's always ringing Sybil and her husband has always left her or come back or left her again uh, and so on 
And the catchphrase of, oh, I know, from uh, Sybil on the phone is, is a regular occurrence whenever she's on the phone to this, this woman, Audrey. But Basil, because he's been around Polly while she's wearing this particular top and then flicking through these nudie pictures that she has been drawing, answers the phone, hello, faulty titties. Brilliant. It's just brilliant. That that scene was just amazing. I mean, I would have probably done the same. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, and, and the fact that he doesn't even acknowledge the fact he's done it, does he? He doesn't even notice that he said this. He just kind of carries on. It's just even better. I think... The fact that he didn't even notice it and carries on just makes it even better. Mm. And if he if he didn't realize he'd do it, the people on the phone are gonna definitely notice it, and it would have been just ten times funnier. Yes, yes. I suppose the saving grace is it's just Audrey who he doesn't care about, as opposed to a, a, a potential customer, maybe. But there we go. We then have a couple arrive into reception who want to book a room. They want to all. They want to basically book a double room but they're not married. And Basil tells them it's against the law. <laughs> oh, but it just backs up his character again of him being very stereotypical older man where you're not married. You can't sleep in the same bed and like a, like a dad almost. Well, let's not go down that road. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's again, it comes back to his level of, uh, of being approved, being disapproving of these sorts of thing. But I'm not sure if it stems from the fact that he's just prudish or if there's a, a level of jealousy there, because there doesn't seem to be much love in or happiness, even in his own marriage. I don't think. No, I think it could, it's hard to tell if it's like jealousy or him just being prude. Cause obviously mm. what you've seen between Basil and Sybil, there isn't much love. It looks to me almost more professional than an actual marriage, in my opinion. Okay. Every time you see them, it normally is just business. The only time you see them like in their bedroom is Sybil's normally on the phone and and then Basil's got to go downstairs and sort something. So to me, it's, I see it as more professional or comes across more professional to me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody who who's a big fan of the show uh, about a week ago, not not for the podcast, just a general conversation online, and they were saying that they believe that again, we're all just this is all guesswork now. We don't know. We're never informed of any of this, but they believe that Basil and Sybil got together much later in life because they were just both so abrasive, they couldn't settle down with anybody else. So they settled down together and they just kind of literally did that. They settled as opposed to got with someone that they were over the moon to be with, so to speak. Yeah. No, you could definitely get that sense from them watching them, especially over several episodes, because it doesn't really, their relationship kind of stays quite monotone, where it's all normally just the same interactions between them, like with customers. You don't really see them like progressing together or getting closer or anything in the episodes that I've watched. Mm. So I can definitely agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we then have, I mean, the, the interaction with, with regards to the, the, the room basically ends up getting rescued by Sybil. She says that they can have uh, two single rooms next to each other, but have to share a bathroom. Manuel! We've booked a room. Have you? Yes, a double one. The name is... One moment, please. It's a nice suit. What? <laughs> I thought you said something. No. Are you all right? 
Are we ready? I think we are, yeah. <laughs> what may I have your name, please? Yes, it's Bruce. Mr and Mrs Bruce. That's right. Is it a double bed? I beg your pardon? Has our room got a double bed? A double bed? Yes. Well, we've only got one double bed. I mean, do you want that? Oh, very much indeed, yes. <laughs> well, I have to put you in number 12, then. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, why... Oh, never mind, yes. <laughs> Has it got a breeze? Has it got a breeze? Well, is, is it airy? Well, there's air in it. I mean, what the... <laughs> I think there's a letter for me. What? There's a letter for me there. No, there isn't. Yes. Jean Wilson. Jean Wilson, is this you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what's going on here? Well, <laughs> well, I can't give you a double room, then. Oh, Lord. It's I'm... against the law. What law? The law of England. Nothing to do with me. Nothing <laughs> to do with you? Nothing at all. I can give you two singles if you like, but, um... Look, should we go somewhere else? Oh, Excuse me. Well, there's my key. And now I'm off to paint the town red. Thank you so much. Well, uh, perhaps I'll see you later this evening? Yes, my wife and I will be up till quite late tonight. Thank you. <laughs> I don't believe a word. Excuse me. We'll have two singles then, if that's all right with the police. Two singles, <laughs> certainly. Now, um, Next to each other. Next to each other. Oh, dear, we can't do that. What a shame. <laughs> Good now. evening. Good evening. Um, a double, is it? We'd like a double. Two singles, dear. Not married. Now, um... <laughs> what? Nothing, dear. I'm dealing with it. Well, 17 and 18 are free. You'd have to share a bar. No. Oh, uh, Audrey called. Uh, oh, hundred. Uh, George has left her again. Oh, no. Now, we've got one on the first floor, one right up at the top. Shall I deal with this, Basil? I'm dealing with it, dear. No, dear, that's all right. Now, you wanted two singles. I said I'd deal with it. Do you mind sharing your bathroom? <laughs> Look, I was here first. Well, it's my turn now, then. <laughs> I fought the Korean War, you know. I killed four men. <laughs> He was in the catering corps. He used to poison them. <laughs> Manuel! Uh, Basil's trying to mutter under his breath. They're not married. But Sybil doesn't give a shit. Sybil here is the more professional of the two. And she is like, well, we're going to take their money. We're booking them in a room. Well, I don't see the problem. To which Basil tries to tell her, I fought in the Korean War. You know, I killed four men. Uh, does Basil strike you as somebody with a military background, maybe? No, definitely. I wouldn't. That's the last thing I'd put him as, just because he is so scatty and all over the place. To think of him as, with the army, we have to be quite professional. You wouldn't put the two together. Mm. So to me, it almost comes across as he's trying to show his dominance and his authority to me. Because okay. you wouldn't put his character with someone who would have served in the army, especially with how strict the army is. Yeah, no, I see. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, Sybil then, I don't know if she's telling the truth here or just making a joke, but she does say, oh yeah, he was in the catering corps. So he was basically a, a cook for the soldiers. So I don't know if that is actually what Basil did or if that was just Sybil trying to undermine him. But yeah, that, that was that there as well. Which I suppose if he if he was a chef or a cook in the army, that would potentially lead into running a hotel because it's all... Mm food based customer service based and all that i guess there could be a link there maybe i don't know i think she was definitely trying to undermine things because to me it came across as quite comedic her comment about oh he was in the catering um mm. but if he were to work in a catering it would match his character and his personality more okay in a way you can believe it also in a completely other way you're like is she joking though just because of her characteristics and her personality yeah, and she's always trying to have little digs and and basically put him down. I mean, uh, the way she talks about the way he dresses in a previous episode was very was very much a case of, 
what her, her words were, you're wearing that, are you? Not a case of, uh, you know, are you going to change or you know, let, let's have a look what else you could wear. Or, she literally just every opportunity shoots him down very cold, you know. So maybe that's another example of that. Definitely an honest, very honest person. Mm, yes, maybe maybe to her own fault, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we then meet Manuel for the first time on this episode. And Manuel, as we mentioned earlier on, is going out for the evening. He It's his birthday. He's been granted the uh, the night off. And he wants to talk to Mr. Faulty. And he thanks him for this beautiful gift. And the Faulties have given him an umbrella. And, um, <laughs> he's, he definitely need it. Yeah. And it, it, he's got a little note he's written out, or a little speech for Basil, hasn't he? That he's trying to... And Basil's not interested at all. Um, Manuel, then. You, you say you've seen a couple of episodes tonight, and obviously this one. And then this interaction with Basil here, where he's desperately trying to thank Basil for taking him in and so on. What do you think of the character of Manuel and, and this interaction in particular? Oh, I love Manuel. He's probably my favourite character that I've seen so far. He is just so funny. Yeah, me. He doesn't even need to say anything. It's just the way he stands and his mannerisms. They're just so funny. And like this interaction when he's trying to give the speech and then like a couple, like 30 seconds after, um, he like Basil opens the door and there he is again trying to give this speech. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was brilliant. Manuel! Yes? Who is it? It's Manuel. Oh, what do you want? Uh, can I go now? I thought you'd gone. Okay. I thought you'd gone. No, no, I turned it off. What? <laughs> it, it was about so high. No, no, I said I thought a credit. It doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. Oh, you think I gone? Yes. No, no, I go now. Wonderful. What is okay? It's okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, yes. Uh, before I go. Is it? Uh, it's my birthday. Yes, I know. I want to thank you for beautiful presents. Oh, oh yes, right. And for your much kindness to me since I come here. Not at all my pleasure. Since coming here from Spain, leaving my mother. Outside. Okay. Outside. Thank you. <laughs> Since coming here from Spain, leaving my five brothers and four sisters. Yeah, I like. I think Manuel, you really can feel a, a level of pity for him as well, because he's trying to learn English. The only reason he's got this job, and ultimately it's a customer service position. He's he's dealing with customers every day. Where he's left to answer the phone. He's he's taking people's bags to their room he's serving them food it's a very customer facing role he has but he can't speak english so and the reason he's in this role is because basil wants to hire him because he's cheaper than somebody who could speak english it's he's in this scenario through no fault of his own but ends up taking the brunt of basil's frustrations with what's going on around him i think yeah i i just manuel's character is just I don't know. It's just something that you feel funny for, but you can relate to. In mm. a way. I don't know how you can, re- I don't know how to explain that you can relate to him. It's just, you almost just feel for him. Yeah. It's just funny. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And Andrew Sachs, who plays Manuel, I think is just absolutely fantastic in the role. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, 
we find that well, as I say Manuel is on his, his night off. He's still the bell is still rang and they still shout at him to take the 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 arriving couple's cases upstairs. He's in his normal clothes with his umbrella, ready to go out for a beer on the town for his birthday, and they're still making him carry the bloody cases upstairs, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It definitely uh again just backs up the character of especially Sybil of how like I don't know the word now. Like how bossy bossy she is and then like Basil's just going along with it going oh she's doing it then I'm gonna do it as well and Manuel not knowing much English is just going with it just doing what they say obviously he's Mm. from Barcelona was it that's that's the famous line isn't it you know anytime he does something wrong or anytime anytime Basil does something wrong that he can blame on Manuel his go-to is oh he's from Barcelona like that's the excuse for their their errors i suppose yeah definitely Hmm. Uh, it turns out that polly knows the young couple they are part of the wedding party that is is coming into the hotel and polly is also friendly with the young couple's parents what was stepfather and and mother who are going to be arriving shortly and this again leads to more confusion later on for basil but i mean before we get to that point the fella who has arrived here, I think his name is Alan. I'm not sure. I think the character's name is Alan. Uh, he wants some batteries for his electric razor. So the he is told to go down and ask at reception to see if there's a chemist open anywhere where he can go and pick some batteries up. But again, we get Basil making assumptions and getting the wrong end of the stick because he assumes that Alan is after buying something else from the chemist on here, isn't he? Yes. You don't know what Basil thinks he's trying to get, but the innuendo is definitely there. Well, it, it's it's hinted at and basically designed to be that Basil is assuming that there's some kind of sex crazed couple upstairs in his uh, in his hotel, and the gentleman there is wishing to go to the chemist so he can so he can buy some condoms. Basically, that's you know where you used to, there and the barbers is where you used to get them from back in the day. So. That when he says he wants to, he needs to go to the chemist. Basil instantly assumes that that's what he wants and starts saying, "Nope, they're all shut. You can't have any. It's disgusting." Uh, and again, just being quite prudish about the whole situation, aren't you? And then decides to turn around and be like, "You people are like that. Are disgusting." <laughs> insults the clients even more. Manuel, blast! I forgot to get those batteries for my electric razor. Is there anywhere still open, Paul? Well, you might find a chemist. Yeah, well, I better have a look. Mm. Mm. Won't be long. Is Richard coming tonight? Mm. We'll be along about ten. <laughs> Hello again. Well, have you managed to get it all sorted out with your wife? Well, I wouldn't know about that. Is there something you want? Uh, yes. Look, I know it's a bit late, but do you know if there's a chemist still open? <laughs> do you know if there's a chemist still open? I suppose you think this is funny, do you? <laughs> funny? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> No, no, I, I really want to know. Oh, do you? Well, I don't. So far as I know, all the chemists are shut. You'll just have to wait till tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> Bit of a blow, I imagine. What? Nothing you heard. Is that all? Well. Yes? I don't suppose you've got a car. Now, look! <laughs> just don't push your luck. I have a breaking point, you know. Well, I only want some batteries. <laughs> I don't believe it. What? Batteries, eh? Do you know something? You disgust me. I know what people like you get up to, and I think it's disgusting. Well, what are you talking about? I want some batteries for my electric razor. I want to shave. Oh, yes? Yes, I can shave today. Look, see? 
Electric razor, huh? Right. Well, that's what I was referring to when I said it was disgusting. It is, of course, disgusting that you haven't shaved. But I understand. Well, I mean, sometimes I don't shave either, and that's disgusting too. So I shall have a razor sent up to your room straight away. Thank you so much. Good night. Manuel! Yeah, and it's amazing that anyone... I, I don't know. Obviously, the Major stays there all the time, but he's a bit dotty in the head. And you've got the two old ladies that you sort of bump into every now and again who are there quite regularly as well. Mm. I don't think, aside from those crazy older characters, I don't think that Basil Fawlty or Fawlty Towers would get many return guests. I, I don't either. Just because he is just very uniquely run hotel shall we say mm, yeah without a doubt uh <laughs> when basil has said no you can't get any again they're not using the word but they're heavily hinting at, 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 at you know what, what is obvious they're saying he doesn't that alan asks basil himself i don't suppose you have any to which case basil is disgusted that he's asking if um <laughs> in his mind he's getting asked if he can lend this guy a condom or, or something and then it comes out, it's about batteries, which, again, Basil doesn't instantly think it's for an electric razor. He assumes it's for something else that is battery-operated that may be being used in the bedrooms between this young couple that he's already disgusted about. Eventually, Basil finds out that it's for an electric razor, and he tries to backpedal, and I love this scene. I think this is fantastic, because he's, he's already called them disgusting. He's already said they're terrible, disgusting people for the way they behave. And then when he finds out that, oh, I just need it for an electric razor, I haven't had a shave today, Basil tries to backtrack by saying the fact that he hasn't shaved is disgusting. Yeah. Just trying to get himself out of the hole he's dug and then just digs himself even deeper. Exactly, exactly. And he even turns around and says at one point, oh, yeah, sometimes I don't shave, and when I do that, I'm disgusting too, and, and so on. I thought this was just... And again, it, it's a real a sort of standard trope of... of, of British comedy, especially from this kind of era, mm. where there's a misunderstanding, and the the character that gets the laughs in this situation being Basil misunderstands the situation, but reacts so hard, or, or reacts so um, you know emphatically with this you know misunderstanding in mind that it makes the situation worse than it needs to be. Yeah, I just think it's brilliant. The way he reacts is just amazing. It's just, like you said, he digs himself a hole and digs it even deeper. Yeah, I mean, that's a brilliant way of putting it, actually. Yeah, he, he, he does exactly that, and it's a running theme throughout the show, whether it's whether it's Basil on his own or it's Basil with other members of the hotel staff around him. Something happens, there's a misunderstanding, he digs a hole, and then every scene he seems to dig himself deeper and deeper. That is a really good way of, of summarising this kind of situation, Anya. That's spot on. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, back upstairs now, it's bedtime. Sybil and Basil are in their bedrooms in separate beds. And it's not even a case of separate beds with just a little gap. There's a, there's a whole chest of drawers between them yeah. to, sh- to properly show the separation in, in this relationship at this, this current time. Sybil is being quite obnoxious, I think. She's in bed smoking. She's eating chocolates. And then she gets a phone call, and it's Audrey again. And this is where we get that, oh, I know. Oh, I know. Over and over again, isn't it? Manuel! Hello? Audrey, any news? 
Oh, dear, he hasn't. Oh, I know. He doesn't deserve you, Audrey. He really doesn't. Exactly. I know you have. I know. I know. Oh, I know. He would have thought like that all night. What was that, Audrey? Oh, I know. I know. Well, why is she telling you then? I understand you. I really do. Oh, I can't stand it anymore. I don't clean the roof or something. Ah, <laughs> oh, there's a front doorbell. Somebody's got back late. Yes. Yes. I expect they got to get their passkey. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to go and let them in. Yes. I'll go then, shall I? Mm. Yes, I agree. Right, I'll go then. <laughs> I mean, you know who that is, don't you? I mean, that's your pair. The Karma Sutra said, Good evening. Welcome to Basil Forty Knocking Shops Limited. <laughs> no, dear, it's only Basil. Manuel! Yes. I thought this scene was absolutely probably my favourite from the episode. Just of the way that... She kept saying, yes, I know, yes. And then Basil's basically talking to himself. <laughs> but talking on the phone, it's almost answering him. And I thought, even though their relationship isn't shown as being like a great one and they're like in love, but I thought this one, you could see the chemistry that the actor and the actress had together. They were just bouncing off each other so well. And how the characters, like the Basil's actor, stayed in such great, professionalism not laughing if that was me i'd be laughing so much just because of the way she says it i just thought it was this scene's probably my favorite from the episode just the way they bounce off each other mm. I mean, you gotta remember as well uh i don't know if it states that i mean you watched these episodes on daily motion didn't you mm-hmm. so i'm not sure if it would state it on daily motion i'm fairly certain it didn't even state it on the dvds which i had to buy because yeah thank you Britbox, you bastards taking <laughs> faulty towers dying off your, your service that i pay for yeah that was amazing thanks for that no warning no nothing just faulty towers all of a sudden disappears from Britbox, bastards but there we go um there's no note on it like you would get with cheers or you would get with friends or certain american sitcoms where you're told cheers is filmed in front of a live studio audience that doesn't happen here but faulty towers is filmed in front of a live studio audience so all of this is in front of in front of a crowd this isn't just for the tv cameras on you i don't know if you were aware of that beforehand no i, I didn't know it was so different for audio uh, mm. live studio audience because i know that sometimes and like especially nowadays if they record something they'll put like the crowd laughing on after they filmed it and almost like yeah pre-recording the laughs and just reusing them so it makes it you understand it a bit more because if they're finding it genuinely funny then you know it is funny it always helps you be like oh especially with me with not understanding some of the jokes when you're hearing the laugh and you're like oh that's meant to be funny right okay right okay that's interesting just because the humor that i have considered like let's say that that you have we have some humor and like in we have some of the same humor there's some uh i'll say something and you're like what are you on about like it's completely different but again, I think that's an age thing, isn't it? It's a generational thing. Because this is, this is, I mean, 74, 75, sorry, this was Ed. Um, so, seven, oh, what would it be? 75, 1954, 54. So, okay, put it into context for you. Um, my mum and dad, so your nanny and grampy, were born in 54 and 55. So when this episode aired, 
uh, grandpa would have been 21, nanny would have been 20. So they would have been closer to your age than mine is now. I think the show is what? If it was 75, 30, Mm. 40 years older than me? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. But yeah, I mean, but, but there's a great line here as well by Basil when when Sybil's there going, oh, I know, oh, I know. Basil just sits there, looks up from his book, and he's reading Jaws, which is the book that the, the film is based upon. Yep. And he looks up and just goes, well, why is she telling you then? Yeah, I, again, I just, they just, I think this scene, they play off each other so well. And mm. you really see, it really shows their relationship. The fact yeah. that he knows what she he knows what he's what she's gonna say and she's not even faced by his comment that he's making towards her. Like it's just Well yeah, she's on the phone, she's answering Audrey and Basil is basically talking at her. She's not listening to him. She doesn't give a shit about what he's gonna say. You know, it, it's really well done. And effectively there's a bang on the door and the whole conversation is Basil saying, Oh, I'll go answer it, shall I dear? Sarcastically, because he knows that she ain't gonna get her ass out of bed. Yeah. We come we come back to her being quite lazy again. And she's there going, oh, yes. And he's like, right, yes, on my turn, I'll go. Oh, I know. Yep, yeah, okay, and, and so on. And then this was also um, quite interesting and funny for me because he, he got this whole interaction, which, again, leads more into Basil and Sybil's relationship. But did you notice the gaff when he goes downstairs? He's there saying somebody's obviously forgotten their outdoor key, their pass key to get into the hotel. So it means the owner has to go down and let them in. Did you notice the mistake here that they made as, as, as you know, a production mistake? No, I don't think I did. You might say it and I might remember it. But okay. No. Uh, well, Basil goes running downstairs to go and let them in. Yes. Um, and he's assuming it's going to be, well, he says to, says to Sybil, I bet it's your lot, meaning the, 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 the gentleman, Alan, and I, cannot, I can never remember his girlfriend's name. Um, it's, the, it's the young couple from earlier, anyway. Jean, sorry, is the girl's name. So he's assuming it's Alan and Jean, the, the young couple who wanted the double room earlier. But it turns out to be Mrs. Penoir, who, who's, who's coming back. But anyway, saying that you know, the key has been forgotten, so they can't let themselves in. When he goes downstairs to let them in, he undoes three big bolts on the door. So even if they had a key, they couldn't get in. Yeah. You know? So it made no sense whatsoever. But it's a small thing. It's not important. Contradicting itself. It's just... I think it just adds to, again, backs up the character. Because you're mm. like, oh, I'm giving you a key. I wouldn't be able to get in anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, potentially. Uh, also, I mean, whilst we're on the topic of... I suppose little gaffes and goofs and, 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 you know, it's very much of its time and TV back then didn't really have what well, it definitely didn't have the budget that TV shows have today. This is obviously built. It's not a real hotel. It's built as a set for the, the live studio audience and, and the live filming that they did and so on. Faulty towers, as well as several other shows from around this time are quite famous for parts of the set moving. Did you yeah. pick up on any of this when doors were slamming and so on? Yes, when the doors were slamming, you'd notice the whole wall would shake, and it was fun. It was actually funny for me because where I've been, where I've watched Big Bang Theory, which is, I guess, also like a, a sitcom, as like a similar to Only Fools and Horses and Forty Towers. It's a similar type show, but obviously completely different like, ages. Yes, yes. You see that, like. That it looks much more realistic set in Big Bang than it does in Faulty Towers. So you see the difference and you see the age, it really brings out the age on the program. Mm. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I watched an episode of a uh, very old classic. Uh, I've, I'm, I want to say maybe 69, maybe 1970 Doctor Who for the Doctor Who podcast that is also out on the SJP World Media Network. I watched one of those this week, and there was one moment where a character puts their hand out against the side of this spaceship or laboratory or something, and it's blatantly just a curtain that's been painted to look like a wall. So when he puts his hand out and touches the wall, the whole wall wobbles because it's a curtain. Brilliant. That's just... See, if I saw that, I'd start laughing. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliantly funny. I think with Faulty Towers, because it's a comedy show, it almost adds to the charm for me. Yeah, definitely. Just, again, just adds to the weirdness and the scattiness of the characters and the mm. show overall. Just adds to the comedic value of it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, we get a bit of a misunderstanding here because uh, Basil ends up sort of toppling falling over and half holding on to miss penoir and this is when alan and uh gene do arrive and basil feels he has to give an explanation as to what's happened because he's caught in a in his mind a compromising position but i don't think anyone else really cares do they no but he's concerned about how people are perceiving him isn't he i think yeah i i just found it really funny how when you open the door, it's obviously the French lady, and then she's quite drunk and quite flirty with him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's quite prude. So when she falls over, and then he falls over her, and then the young couple walks in, and he's like, he accuses them of being quite flirtatious and uh, inappropriate. That that's what he comes across as to them. Yes. But I just thought that was again adds to the comedic value and just makes it funnier. Yeah, that that is absolutely spot on the money. Uh, and here we get one of my favourite moments of the show. It's John Cleese in one hundred percent brilliant Basil Fawlty mould. You know, he's 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 this is Basil Fawlty to a T. He feels he has to offer an explanation. Yes. So he goes into this explanation, but he's obviously nervous and paranoid, and he's also got that slight Basil Fawlty craziness to him. Mm-hmm. So he talks a hundred mile an hour trying to get this explanation out to tell them all that it's not what it looks like before shouting, oh, look at the time, I've got to go to bed, and he runs off up the stairs and so on. I thought this was so good. Yeah, because he's like trying to explain himself and panicking, and then the couple kind of stood there like they don't really care. Like mm. They come in, they want to go to bed, and he's panicking that they're going to go tell Sybil or like he's going to look bad and like the way that they're stood there they're kind of like okay (laughs) (laughs) it's brilliant and again you can see well you can hear the reaction of the people in the audience I don't know how big an audience it would have had it wouldn't be like nowadays when you have these big studio audiences have been quite a smaller section of people I believe but also I'm not 100% sure but I'm fairly certain I've read somewhere that this was done in one take and John, John Cleese goes on this mad crazy rant where he almost seems like he doesn't draw breath and then he runs off up the stairs if you look at the characters especially the young man playing Alan they're trying not to laugh because they have found John Cleese so funny themselves I mean if that was one take I would be laughing but fair play to him for doing it in one take mm. That's yeah we're out I'm coming I'm coming 
I mean, I suppose you know what time it is. Oh, Mr. Faulty. Oh. oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Ah, oh, there you are. Well, okay, I'm awfully sorry. No, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, the front doorbell went and missed a moment or two ago. And I thought to myself, oh, I expect that'll be Alan and uh, so down I go. And lo and behold, it's not your door. It's Mrs. Penwell. Have you met Alan and uh, this is Mrs. Penwell? She's an antique dealer. You know, I mean, she deals in antiques. She's not frightfully old or anything. <laughs> so I let her in just ten seconds. I mean, hardly five. I mean, hardly time to say good evening. In she comes, stops the thing. Down I go, down she goes. And there you are. Bless my soul. She's going, golly, is that the time? My goodness, I was thinking it was a quarter past ten. My God, well, I better get to bed. Here, God, stand around talking all night. Come get an early night. Bye. <laughs> Back in the bedroom, Sybil asks who it was. Basil doesn't mention Miss Penoir. Basically explains it was, oh, it was your lot. And then there's a knock at the door and it's Drunk Manuel. Yes. Oh, Drunk Manuel. What can I say about that? He is brilliant. And he, he's there. I love you, Mr. Faulty. I love you. Thank you so much for my gift. And he tries to give the speech again, where he's, he, the initial speech was something along the lines of when I left my mum and my um, five sisters or something like that in Barcelona. This time he's drunk. So he says, when I left my five mothers and, uh, and all this sort of stuff, it's. Oh, uh, I love that. It. it was just brilliant. Drunk Manuel. He just, he just wanted to give that speech. That's all he wanted to do, and he didn't get the chance. He just wants to thank Basil. Basil's got no interest whatsoever. He just, <laughs> just let the poor man give his speech, even if it makes no sense. Mm. Yes, this is it. Um, we get, again, the, the, the young couple and the family sort of catch Basil after he's fallen on top of Manuel here and goes, oh, they're at it again and all this sort of stuff. Um, before we get to the morning, Manuel is incredibly hungover, at one point lying down in the middle of the floor in the canteen or, or the, the breakfast area, saying he's going to die there, leave him alone. Um, Mrs. Penoir mentions that her window is stuck and Basil needs to to fix it. And here's where the parents arrive. Mm. Now, this is Jean's mum and her stepdad, I believe. And Jean, the lady, is, is hugging the stepdad to say hi. Basil again gets the wrong idea. Yeah. And he thinks that they're all carrying on together. And, and then Jason keeps Jean's mum out of the room by showing her every other room possible. Yes, and I love this because he takes her to... <laughs> I don't know his motivation here, whether he's trying to help Jean and her stepdad not be discovered, whether he's trying to save the mum from the embarrassment of seeing this, or whether he's, again, just worried about the the reputation of his hotel. He doesn't want some sort of argument or problem in the hotel, but he takes this, this, this woman to the kitchen uh, where we see Manuel hung over in a basket, his feet just sticking out the, the basket top, which is brilliant. Um, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, is he okay? I think he needs help. And he's, he's just like, no, he's, he's fine. He's just sleeping. He's from Barcelona. And um, <laughs> we, we then go into another bedroom and by this point, this lady is, she's unsure. She's, why is this guy taking me into another bedroom? This is, this is not right. And she's, he's trying to explain that this is a nicer room than the one that she has. The joys is, oh, sorry, if this is like a nicer room to the one we've given you. Yeah. And it's just so ridiculous, but so brilliant. Because when we get back into the other bedroom, he literally, the, the woman looks around and goes, the rooms are exactly the same. <laughs> Or when he's showing her, the, when they're downstairs, he's showing her a door frame going, oh, look at this door frame. We didn't have it this time ago. And we'd have to go all the way around if we didn't have it, but we've got a door frame now. And it's like, <laughs> it's 
Yeah, but it just makes it funnier. Yeah, he asked her if she would like a go with the door, as if like you know she's never used the door before. <laughs> the door you haven't used. Would you like a go? It's just, just so uh, silly, but absolutely fantastic. I think uh, it just makes it better. Because yeah, he's just losing the plot with each passing minute, isn't he? Yeah, it's just. I think the more he loses the plot, the funnier it gets. Yeah, one hundred percent. It just becomes so random, but then you're not shocked because it's Basil. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, we get another moment here with some misunderstanding where. Alan is receiving a massage from his girlfriend, Jean, and he's very vocal about how much he's enjoying this massage. So through the sound of the door, it does sound like something more than just a massage. Whereas Polly is trying on a dress and Polly then leaves the room after Basil has heard all these, these noises coming from the bedroom to see Polly doing up her work gear and completely gets the wrong idea again, tells Polly one minute at reception with your hat and coat, because he's firing her. Uh, he's now chucking the guests out. But this is where Sybil explains to Basil that he's completely got the wrong end of the stick. They're all related. He's made a mistake. He needs to now go and tell them he's made a mistake and that they're not getting kicked out and Polly isn't getting fired, isn't it? And then he turns around and goes, oh, my wife made a mistake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not the fact that you made a mistake. Your wife made a mistake. The one that gets me as well is when he's he's told Polly to get her hat and coat and meet him at reception because she's being fired. And then as he's running upstairs going, I made a mistake, I made a mistake, I made a mistake. Then he opens the door and goes, so sorry, my wife made a mistake. As he runs past Polly, he goes, yes, yes, very nice. Take him back off again, then get back to work. As though he's asking That's... asking her to just show him his hat, her hat and coat. That scene was, I made a mistake, I made a mistake. Always gives me Sheldon Cooper energy. From okay. Big... Where it's just... If Sheldon got something wrong, he'd repeat himself over and over again, always like the knock. So you can see the similarities where with like Big Bang has been being made over the last 10 years, which is, you say, a modern programme compared to 40 Towers that was made, what, 50 odd years ago. There's still mm-hmm. so many similarities in like the characters and like they're completely different projections, completely different characters but yes there's still that similarity so i think very much sitcoms are like a structure if that makes sense Mm. well yeah i I suppose i suppose what works works and and there's the old adage as well that nothing is original anymore and this goes for music um films um i mean there's only so many stories that can be told Uh, and every every romance every action film every comedy i suppose can at some base level be drawn back to being based upon another very early story on in some way or, or shape or form because there's no to me anyway there's there's nothing really original anymore if you come across an original television program or, or an original idea it's incredibly you know incredibly unusual to have that pretty much everything we're seeing i mean exactly the the, the perfect example is the amount of remakes that mm. we're getting with regards to TV shows and movies themselves. Nothing is original anymore. So I think you're onto something there. I mean, I think you're quite, you're quite accurate at that point. It's just, there's a lot of similarities with like certain scenes where you're like, Oh, that gives, like I said, that scene was like, Oh, like I made a mistake. I made a mistake. That almost mirrors Sheldon and big bang to me. Mm. And then, 
it's like it's almost a structure but then you make separate branches to that structures to make it that different program i mean I, I personally would never have made that that link i don't watch a lot of big bang anyway i'm not a massive fan of it but i understand how popular it is and i personally would never have made that link because one is obviously about scientists this one's about hotel uh, one is american one is english one is relatively modern one is one is quite vintage quite dated but I can kind of see where you're coming from. It does come back to, I suppose, certain structures always being there with regards to comedy and, and entertainment in general. So, yeah, I kind of I, I wouldn't make that link myself. But I can I can see the point you're trying to make, you know. Mm. Uh, Sybil's buggered off to Audrey's now because her husband's left her again. Uh, Miss Penoir comes back and tries it on with Basil as Basil is trying to fix the window. But whilst this is happening, Sybil arrives back again unannounced. Miss Penoir then knocks at Basil's door when he's there on his own. And all she wants is a wake-up call. I mean, that's what she says, but she's being quite flirtatious. There's obviously something else on her mind. She leaves, and then Sybil arrives, but can't get in her own bedroom because Basil's locked the door. Because he's he's almost, it's almost like he enjoys a little bit of the flirting, but he's scared about what might happen afterwards. He almost seems terrified about this woman's advances. Did you pick up on anything like that? Or what did you think? I mean, this scene was, it was funny, but it's also like, was it necessary in the episode? Okay. It's like, we've seen this French lady flirting with him all episode, and then she tries it on with him, and then... Obviously, he locks his room so Sybil can't get in it. And then he's also talking, acting like he's talking to Sybil, but Sybil's outside the room. So it's like, would it be, was it necessary in the episode? I think they could have done it without the scene because it wasn't, it wasn't overly funny. But then they've left it in, which again adds to the characters. I don't know. I don't really have like a strong opinion on the scene to be honest. Okay, I I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I mean for me again, it just comes. It just boils back down to a misunderstanding because Basil has made an assumption that it's Miss Penoir on the other side of the door, but it's it's Sybil, and he's telling her to go away. My wife will be back soon. So to the viewer, it's that thing of well, Sybil's going to think he's having an affair now, mm. and eventually, he, you know, she says, "This is your wife." And this, the end of the scene, to me, makes it worthwhile being in. I can see what you mean about the rest of it. It's a bit, you know, it is what it is. But the end of the scene, to me, makes it worthwhile being in. Because, again, John Cleese here is superb. He has to quickly think on his feet. Because Sybil has just said, this is your wife. He messes his hair up, and in lightning quick fashion, opens the door and goes, oh, my God, what a terrible dream. Yeah. And tries to pass the whole thing off as as a nightmare. And I thought that was really well done by John Cleese. I thought that was superb. It was quite smart, but then they didn't need, in my opinion, they didn't need to make that scene so long. Okay. Stretched it out quite a bit. Okay. And this is why, again, I I think this podcast is going to be quite interesting to people listening, because we are getting the opinions of, I mean, a completely different generation to myself, you know, and and you've never seen these shows before. So it's a a different viewpoint. It's very easy to have a podcast about a, a particular type of music or film or tv show or sport or whatever and be in your own echo chamber and Mm. be agreeing with everybody who's on the show and agreeing with everybody who's listening to the show and they agree with you and you just go back and forth back and forth back and forth and you're in your own little echo chamber i love doing podcasts and shows 
on topics where people haven't seen it before because I like hearing different opinions. The same as Nitro Nights that I do with our friend Scottish Danny. He's never seen the wrestling company WCW before. So I'm having a brilliant time reviewing WCW with him because it's something I enjoy, but I'm getting his opinions with fresh eyes. And this is another example of why this this works so well for me, having you on here. Uh, What we get, though, is Sybil, she's, she's... you know, trying to ignore all his nonsense because she's basically telling him it sounds like there's a burglar downstairs so basil who is half ready for bed he's got his shirt on but no trousers he's just in his underpants <laughs> tiptoes downstairs into the into the lobby the reception area and basically manuel has woken up from his sleep in the basket and manuel is staggering around in the dark still feeling sorry for himself after his uh his night out on the town celebrating his birthday still half cut yeah, probably, yes. Probably still half cut, you're right. And Basil strikes the burglar with a frying pan. Because he, as far as he's concerned, he's defending his property and his, his wife and so on. He did uh, check the man well first. He genuinely thought it was just a robber. Exactly, exactly. So he nails him with a frying pan, jumps on top of him to hold him down. The light comes on. Manuel's unconscious on the floor. There's Basil with no trousers on. Basically, he's mounted this young, well, not young, he's mounted this, this small French guy, sorry, small Spanish guy. And here is the family again, looking at him in disgust, basically go, oh, bloody hell, they're at it again. Before we go, they, they take themselves off upstairs. And it's to me, it's, it it's ends the episode very well because Basil has been making assumptions about other people's activities incorrectly for the whole episode, judging them incorrectly for the whole episode. But at the same time, he keeps placing himself in these scenarios that allows these other people to form an opinion on him. And I thought that was I thought that was quite a clever little sort of go all the way back around again. Yeah, I thought it was really smart of the writers because obviously he's quite crude and he's like disgusted by his people. But then when it comes to the end of the episode, he looks worse than the guests do. Yes, exactly. And he doesn't notice that he's made himself look so bad compared to how he how he was disgusted by them. Yeah, you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on, and I think it's really well done. And you consider these episodes; they're only what 25 26 27 minutes long 30 minutes tops it's quite a clever little story trait going all the way through the episode in quite a short space of time i think mm, they've done it quite well because even even when he's not saying anything it's the way he's looking at the guests or the guests the, the way they're looking at him you pick up on just the mannerisms without them even having to say anything mm. and it just adds to the overall theme of the episode yeah exactly i mean before we go one little thing here as well that happened with regards to this episode that is a lot it's a regular occurrence we we spoke about it already on the podcast about how much the the character of manuel gets beaten up by or basil faulty john cleese used to wallop the crap out of andrew andrew sack sadly and um it was all done for their their show and they both they both got on famously well until his sad passing here is another example of this the the props department made a frying pan for this scene it was heavily padded and left in place for John Cleese to grab as he's walking through to use it as a weapon. However, it's supposed to be nighttime. All the lights are out. John Cleese can't see when they're filming this scene. He picks up the wrong frying pan. Oh, no. So when you see in the show, he hits him with the frying pan and you hear that noise. He actually drills poor little Manuel for real with this frying pan. Real frying pan. Andrew Sachs was pretty much knocked unconscious. 
um, needed help to get get back up off the floor. He couldn't stand on his own because he was so dizzy, taken back to his dressing room. And apparently he had a headache for a minimum of three days afterwards. I mean, at least you know it's real. <laughs> well, yeah, the poor guy, the poor guy. But there we go. And yeah, I have had an absolute blast. It's do you just, good. Yeah, do you want to just give a quick summary as to, you know, whether you enjoyed this and have we won you over to potentially watch more or is it a bit too dated for you? What are your thoughts? Um, I enjoyed it, but it wouldn't be my go-to. Okay. Just because my generation's humour and that humour's completely different. It took me a while to understand some of the jokes. Right. It with me. Like when I mentioned to my friends, I was like, oh, I'm watching, what are you watching? I'm like, watching 40 Towers. And they turn around, what's that? And then I have to explain it. And then they're like, oh, that sounds crap. And I'm like, it's okay. It's just not something that I'd go out of my way to watch. Mm. Like I'd, I'd watch it for the podcast and maybe like compare it to something else, but I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it or just because I think the sense of humor is completely different. It takes me a while to understand it. And then that frustrates me because I don't understand it. Fair enough. Okay. Interesting. Well, we're going to look at one more episode and it is kind of a potluck because it it was a case of you, you were coming on the show at a certain time. So the episodes that you, you were getting were dictated to you by the running order of the show. But yes. we are also going to get you back on for an episode of my choosing for later on in, in the podcast run. So it'd be interesting to see if your mindset changes the more you watch or if there's things, again, if it just continues being that same sort of uh, same sort of thought process. I'll be very interested to see how that goes. And again, that's why I'm, I enjoy this, this kind of format with regards to people who haven't seen it before. Because getting those opinions of people looking at this very old television with fresh eyes, I find fascinating. Mm, I think, like I said, I watched episode one and two and I was like, I said, but each episode that I've watched, it does get slowly better. So maybe if I watch a later episode, I will, it will convince me to like it. It's mm. just, it's like Quantum Leap, the first season, you're like, you don't even want to watch it because it's awful. So maybe the second one is a bit better. So we'll just have to, we'll have to see. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. The most important thing to me is that at least it made you laugh in places because that's the whole aim of the show. Yeah. Well, bits of the episode that I understood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No problem. And it's been a blast. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. Uh, everyone listening, you can follow this show on Twitter at Farty Towels Pod, or you can follow the network that carries this on Facebook and Twitter at SJP World Media and all the shows that come out via that network. You know, you can find on that social media there. The Waiting Room, looking at Quantum Leap. The Doctor Who pod, obviously looking at Doctor Who. Uh, We have all sorts going on. Plenty of wrestling podcasts. There's so much there, it takes too long for me to list. So yes, at SJP World Media for all of that. And yeah, it's been a blast. I'm already looking forward to the next episode. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you for joining me. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. My way!